One of the hidden uh, values in Christmas songs is their ability to expand our vocabulary. I want you to stop and think about this. The first time you heard words like Noel or Wassail or uh, Virgin, you're welcome, parents, was uh, in the songs of Christmas. But Christmas songs also expand our theological horizons. Phrases like Gloria in excelsis Deo and let the earth receive her king taught us that Jesus' glory and his rule fills the world in which we live. And then there's a phrase like veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, which gets right to the heart of the matter, telling us that past all of the sappy sentimentality of the sweet little baby Jesus is the truth that Christmas is the divine inflection point into our world. It lets us know that this is the celebration of the eternal God wrapping himself in flesh and living among us, dying as one of us and being raised from the dead so that all of us who put our faith in him might be saved. So, Today, we begin our Advent series built upon those famous words from Hark the Herald Angels Sing called Veiled in Flesh. And we'll use the four candles of Advent, peace, joy, love, and today's candle, hope, to show how God becoming flesh in Jesus is the fullest embodiment of all four of those things. So if you would please find Isaiah chapter 40 in your copy of God's Word, as today we see that Jesus is hope veiled in flesh. Now, Isaiah 40 isn't a passage of Scripture that we traditionally associate with Christmas. We associate a lot of passages from Isaiah with Christmas, but not Isaiah 40, and we really should. The prevailing mood of Isaiah's time among the faithful was one of lament. It's a lament that many of us actually can share in common with the original readers, those of us who follow Jesus today. Some of us lament because we don't recognize our country anymore. Some of us lament because we don't recognize our culture anymore. Some of us lament because we don't recognize the church anymore. Lament is the prevailing mood of the day, it seems, among followers of Jesus. But regardless of the origin of our lament today, we share the same hope for rescue from that lament that they themselves experienced. The source of the Jews' lament in the days of Isaiah 40 were the many hardships that they were experiencing as a people. And the source of their hope out of that hardship, for that hardship to end, was the Messiah, the coming of the day of the Messiah. Well, today, our hope is in the same Messiah, except we know his name. His name is Jesus, and our hope is fixed on what awaits us because of his arrival on our planet 2,000 years ago. And so, in a passage 700 years before his arrival, we are going to see today that Jesus is hope veiled in flesh because of three reasons. First, Jesus is hope veiled in flesh because he is forgiveness experienced. I hope you found verse 1 of Isaiah 40. Follow along as I read. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, 
that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Hardship comes in many forms, but the kind of hardship that I've noted that God's people have the most difficult time is the hardship that is brought on by our own sin. Now, of course, there are hardships that we are going to face in life that have nothing to do with our obedience or our disobedience to God. There are hardships that come to our life that exist because we live in a fallen world, a sin-filled world, and things happen, bad things happen to good people. But there, there are far more of life's difficulties, I think, that are brought on by choosing our way over God's way than what we would care to admit. I, I cannot tell you how many times I've sat in my office in almost 37 years of vocational ministry and heard someone bemoan their life's circumstances. Their wife's left them or their kids have abandoned the faith and yet sit there and are completely blind to the fact that their wife left them because they were unfaithful and their kids abandoned the faith because you spent far more time communicating that literally every other activity that you can think of was more important than being with God's people in worship. And what's true of us as individuals is also true of the church corporately. We are, are in a time where we just kind of wring our hands about culture's hostility, and we like to blame it because of, uh, that it exists because of our convictions. But I think if you talk to uh, many who are hostile to the faith in our culture, you'll find they're hostile to the church because of our silence on the abuse of women and children in some evangelical churches, or our blind eye to racial inequalities or a blind eye to immorality among leaders. I'm not saying that we as the church are never pressed by external forces that have nothing to do with obedience or disobedience like sickness or even abandonment or, or even religious bigotry or spiritual warfare. I'm just saying that we should at least for a second consider whether or not the hardships that we experience in life are brought on by our sin. And if we're brave enough to do that, if we are brave enough to just get honest before God and find that sin, sin, our sin has induced our current season of hardship, it can be embarrassing, it can be shaming, it can be crushing. And when we see, when we really see for the first time that our life in this season is hard because of our rebellion against God, where are we going to find our hope? In Jesus, who is hope veiled in flesh because he is forgiveness experienced to the fullest extent. Isaiah didn't yet know Jesus' name, but he could glimpse the experience of forgiveness that Jesus would bring, a glimpse that he provides for us in three different phrases he uses in those verses I just read. First, he speaks of Jerusalem's warfare having been ended, which is a vivid way of of describing the conflict that is brought on in our lives by sin. With God's rule and reign established in our hearts, the opposition of His holiness against our sin is removed. Our warfare with God ends because of the forgiveness of Jesus. The second phrase describing the experience of forgiveness that Jesus embodies is that 
iniquity is pardoned. One of my favorite movies is The Mission. Anybody here ever seen a movie from the mid-80s called The Mission? A handful of you all have seen it. It, it is a movie that stars Jeremy Irons and Robert De Niro, and I don't have time to get into the plot details, but a key scene in the movie shows De Niro's character carrying, dragging, really, a large net full of the relics of the violent life that he has led to that point as penance for the violent life he lived. And when he can drag it no further, it's cut from him by someone that he's harmed. And he weeps because he has suffered enough for his sin to finally be forgiven. It is a powerful scene, powerful scene. It's just not true. <laughs> it's not true. You can't earn forgiveness for your sin. You can't drag around your guilt for weeks and months and years on end, hoping that you'll drag it around enough for Jesus to forgive you. Isaiah here isn't saying that the hardship of the people has earned them forgiveness, is he? He, he says the, 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 the Lord has pardoned their sin, meaning that God's divine grace is what grants forgiveness, which leads to this final phrase. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, there's a couple of ways you can go for that, but I think the best understanding there is communicating that God has provided double the grace necessary to cover the sins of the people. I want you to stop and think about that. Whatever sin that you drag around, the guilt of which you hold on to in your life, Jesus Christ has done overkill with his grace to provide you the forgiveness to be cut loose from all of that. It's all by the abundance and the mercy of Jesus. And again, Jesus' name was unknown to Isaiah, but those of us who have experienced his forgiveness see his unmistakable presence in Isaiah 40. Let me take a side note. Let me share you the most frustrated I ever got in seminary. I, I, I got frustrated a lot in seminary. Frankly, I frustrated a lot of professors in seminary, but I also got frustrated a lot in seminary, and, and the key time of frustration for me was when I was listening to really the preeminent Old Testament scholar in America today preach from Isaiah chapter 40, and he preached studiously avoiding the name of Jesus. I wanted to stand up and say, it's about him, say his name. He just wouldn't do it. He wanted to, he wanted to preach it uh, like it might have been heard by the Jews. And I thought, well, that's good, but they only have part of the answer. Give them the answer. <laughs> Jesus is unmistakably present in Isaiah 40, so much so that the author of Hebrews says it like this. He says that through Jesus, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. We have, through Jesus, experienced to its fullest extent forgiveness. That's one of the reasons that Jesus Christ is hope veiled in flesh. But he's also hope veiled in flesh because he's glory revealed. I want you to look at verse 3 of Isaiah 40. A voice cries. In the wilderness, 
Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. Shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Those are very picturesque and descriptive words. And so let me make sure we can envision it by thinking of something that's going to be happening to us. The World Cup's going on right now. Full disclosure, that's not my jam. All right? I mean, I, I clearly I'm a little old to be in that demographic. It's just not my thing. But in our office, there are many people that are really super into it. And you may or may not know that Kansas City is one of the host sites for the World Cup four years from now. And as such, we are about to see a huge investment of resources into our infrastructure to get ready to host the event, particularly in the area of public transportation, particularly in the area of our roads, and especially around our stadiums. For the next four years to get ready for the world's arrival, we are going to be under construction. That's the picture that is being given here. That's the image of these verses. The king, he says, is coming. So the roads must be made ready for his arrival, for the arrival of the royal chariot. That's what verses 3 and 4 are communicating. He's saying that everybody in their hearts must be ready for the arrival of the king, the Messiah. And Isaiah says that when the king comes, all flesh in the flesh will see the glory of God. Now, I stopped there for a bit when I was preparing this message because I wondered what it must have been like for someone like Isaiah to say that all flesh in the flesh will see the glory of God. Because in Isaiah 6, there's this famous record of Isaiah having a vision of God in the temple. And it's such an overwhelming experience that his first impulse is not to cry hallelujah. His first impulse is to cry out, woe is me. And now in Isaiah 40, he's saying that all people will have that same experience and even a greater one. Surely he had to be wondering how that was going to happen without it becoming a mass extinction event based on his personal experience. But I want you to listen to what John famously says of Jesus in a verse that is read frequently this time of year. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. That's what Isaiah said would happen. We have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, but get this, full of grace and truth. Isaiah witnessed the glory of God manifested in majesty and holiness. And in Jesus, we will witness that same glory, but manifested in grace and in truth. And it is through this grace and by our faith in the truth of his gospel that we will be changed and will one day be able to get the unfiltered experience of the glory of God with shouts of hallelujahs and not woes. Jesus reveals the glory of God. And we are not slain as a result. That's another reason that we can say that Jesus is hope 
veiled in flesh. Still another is that Jesus is promise kept. I know the grammar's bad on that, but it is what it is. Jesus is promise kept. Look at verse 6. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Obviously, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to see that there's a simple contrast being presented to us in those verses. Those whose trust is in the Lord, those whose trust is in the Lord will stand under God's judgment. Those trust who are in God's promises will never fade under judgment because God's promise never fades or fails. God's promises, therefore, are mankind's only stable source of hope. Now, I want you to remember, again, Isaiah doesn't know Jesus' name, but he is building this entire section of Isaiah 40, really a whole chapter, in fact, on the foundation of the promise that God would not abandon his people, that he would send the Messiah in spite of their rebellion. He would not abandon his people even when they wandered away. He would pardon their sin, all of it, abundantly by his mercy. He would then come to them in glory, and Jesus is the promise kept of all of that because Jesus himself is the promise. That means that your hope and my hope shouldn't rest in our words or in our actions. Frequently, I will talk to people about about their faith story. How did they come into the faith of Christianity? How did they come to know Jesus? And I don't know whether this is intentional or not, but usually we will get to a story about their words or their action. I said these words when I was a child. Or I performed this action in coming down an aisle or going through confirmation when I was a child. And what they are saying to me is that the reason that I have hope in my eternity is because of something that I have done. But here's the deal. Your comfort in salvation can only come from his commitment to you and not your commitment to him. Because on our best day, every one of us are lunatics. Going our own way. Doing our own thing. We can hold it together for an hour or so, but before you know it, we say something we shouldn't say or we think something that we shouldn't think, or we're just lazy. And if it depended on us, there would be no reason for any single person here to have any hope, because our promises to Jesus can't stand the daylight. But Jesus' promise to us never fails. Jesus is promise kept. That is why the author of Hebrews could say Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is why Jesus is hope veiled in flesh, which leads us to this. Jesus is mission received. Jesus is hope veiled in flesh, 
because Jesus is mission received. By that I mean that because of Jesus Christ, if you've placed your faith in them, you have a purpose. You have a purpose. What is that purpose? Well, let's take a look at verse 9. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. And he will tend his flock like a shepherd, and he will gather the lambs in his arms, and he will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those that are with young. And that's where we want to land. That's what we want to make our life first. When we're down, we want to think about Jesus being our shepherd and tending to us. But the money verses here are the first verses I read. I want you to notice back in verse 9 how there's been a fundamental shift in identity. The first eight verses have described to a lamenting people that God is going to keep his promises, that they can have their hope in God because he is sending the Messiah. And in light of everything they learn through the first eight verses, their identity shifts. Zion becomes a herald of good news. Jerusalem becomes a herald of good news. What is being told to the people of Israel? That in light of God's promise of the Messiah to you, your mission is life is to proclaim that hope, to proclaim that promise. And now we know that that promise is in Jesus Christ. And so the very moment that you and I give our lives to Jesus as our Savior and as our Lord, we are given not just our forgiveness that we can celebrate together as people who are gathered in worship. Isn't it wonderful to be saved? There's, there's something to that. We need to be doing that. But our life's mission is not to clap for our salvation. Our life's mission is to shout to a hopeless world that Jesus is the promise of God. That's what we're called to do. How dare we stay silent in our neighborhood? How dare we stay silent having experienced the forgiveness of God in our workplace? How dare we stay silent in our schools? How dare we stay silent in the matrix of our relationships? How dare we? We've been given everything in Jesus. He is our hope. How can we stay silent about that hope? In light of everything Isaiah's readers have learned about the hope of the Lord in, in Isaiah 40, this, this news that they are to be, proclaim is, is, is identified in three different ways. First, they are told that there's really no legitimate claim to the throne of the universe except the claim of God alone. He comes with might. Second, there's no legitimate path to salvation except through the Lord. He brings his reward. He brings his salvation with him. No one else can bring it to them. Third, he will perfectly care for those who are his. He tends his flock like a shepherd and gathers his lambs into his arms. That was the message that the people of Israel were to proclaim. That's the message that we are to proclaim, except we say, and his name is Jesus. So when we receive from Jesus all that he offers, we're also given the mission 
of making him known to a hopeless world. Jesus is God veiled in flesh. And as such, he reveals a marvelous hope to the world. Now, folks, you and I are at the front end of the best opportunity to herald that good news that we'll be given all year. Everywhere we go, a culture that ignores Jesus will be proclaiming his gospel. Do you understand that? The songs of the season that are sung on television specials and that are played on your radio frequently explain the gospel. People who deny the gospel are going to be proclaiming the gospel. That's how funny God is. I'll, I'll never forget a few years ago, I was watching a, a special because Julie was making me watch a special on television. And there was a group singing a song that we're all familiar with called Mary Did You Know? And it was sung by a group of people who by their own life's testimony would just think that's just a nice little fable. And I thought to myself, they're preaching the gospel. They're preaching the gospel. The world right now is thinking about the gospel of Jesus, whether they want to or not. So let me say this to you, folks. Christianity has not been canceled. The church has allowed their fear to muzzle them. We have an opportunity in this season to be able to share the good news of Jesus. So listen for those opportunities. That's the number one thing I can say to you. Listen for those opportunities that are going to land in your lap over the next few weeks and open up gospel conversations. But in order to be prepared to do those gospel conversations, you need to build the spiritual reserves within you to be able to be ready when those opportunities present themselves. And so I want to loop back to what Dr. Tracy was recommending to you at the beginning of the service, an Advent devotional. Any Advent devotional will do, but we're really pushing right now at Blue Valley The Gifts of Grace by Jared Wilson. You can get it on Amazon. It may be back-ordered, but you can use your Kindle and get it immediately sent to your phone to linger over every day starting today through December the 25th so that your day starts with a reminder of the gift that you have in Jesus. I hope that you already have a devotional practice, and I would encourage you, if you do, to just add that book to what you're already doing. But develop those spiritual reserves so that your mind is focused on the opportunity that is coming your way over the next four weeks. Finally, I want to say this. I know that there are people every single time I stand to preach who have come to church on holiday weekends like this Maybe because uh, your, your mom or your dad said you're not going to get fed or have a place to sleep if you don't come to church on Sunday. And so you're here to go through the thing. And you don't have the kind of hope that we have talked about today. Maybe you've 
walked away from that hope because of some of the reasons that culture is hostile to the, the faith that I mentioned earlier. Maybe there are things about the church that should bug you. They bug me. They bug me. But I'll tell you who's never failed me is Jesus. And I'll tell you who is there more times than not when I get out on a limb. It's God's people. As jacked up as God's people can be. They're there for me. I need them. I need them. So if you're here today and you don't have that faith in Jesus, you don't have that hope that we have talked about today in Jesus Christ, I want you to know that at the end of our service, I'll be at our, our table at the back of the foyer. I'd be happy to talk with you about what it means to find your hope in Jesus. Some of our elders will be back there too, and we'll be, uh, as, as a group, we'll be happy to talk with you about what it means to give your life to Jesus because we have found in Jesus the hope that sustains us. And you are surrounded by people in this room that have found in Jesus the hope that sustains them. Talk to them about the good news. The rest of us, let's herald the good news to a world whose ears are primed to hear it for the next four weeks. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.